Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Stop whispering. Hello and welcome to the latest Forza Italian football podcast. Um, I'm Connor Clancy and I'm joined again by three guests this week. We've got a, an extra special bumper show. As you probably know, we were out in Italy. Some of us are still there and some of us will be going back out shortly, but you'll hear more about that later. So we've got a couple of people returning from a long-term absence today. Um, we'll start with the longest absence first. Vito Doria is back on the podcast. Vito, welcome along. Ooh. Thanks, Connor. Yeah, it's been a very long time since I've been on the podcast and first time in this new format. So hopefully on <laughs> FIF TV, it should be good fun. Yeah, it's, it's a bit more fun over on FIF TV than just on Skype. I'm sure you'll agree by the end. Secondly, yeah. we've got Luca Gumby. Luca, what's up? Uh, yeah, hi. Yeah, glad to be here um, with this lovely Wi-Fi that I've got over in uh, Bologna where I've been for the weekend. So I'd also point out that the Marilyn Monroe poster in the background isn't mine if anyone is uh, watching live. But yeah, good to be here and chat again as usual. I think it's a close toss-up between your Marilyn Monroe and my Gigi Buffon in the background for the best poster of the FIF pod. So those of you watching, get in touch and let us know which you prefer. And last but by no means least, we've got Nicholas Carroll after being joined by my joyful company in Italy. He's back on the podcast with us. Nick, hello. G'day, Connor. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, a bit a bit down to be back in London away from Italy, but I'm going back tomorrow, so um, I am very excited. Back to Italy uh, for the Milan Derby on Saturday, which is very exciting, but um, no, it's, um, it's, to be honest, it was a rough day yesterday, but I'm sure we'll talk about that soon enough. Yeah, um, I think that'll come up at one point. Yeah, we might have to discuss, but, um, no, I'm, um, I'm very much missing sharing a bed with you, Connor. So looking forward to the next time. Yeah. Can't wait. Looking forward <laughs> to it. Um, the bed sharing was by far the, the highlight of the trip, I think. You and I are in agreement on that for once. But I suppose we'll start things off with Bologna-Roma. Luca, you are in Bologna at the moment. You were at the game at the Dallara the other day. Um, Roma back to winning ways when there's no real pressure on them. Is that a bit of a harsh assessment or what are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, I suppose that probably is fair because Roma would have come to Bologna expecting to win that game. Bologna have been having a pretty tough time this um, this year and that's kind of Roma's forte at the moment is they do beat the, the teams who are definitely weaker than them. They did have better team, um, better players than Bologna. It wasn't perhaps as one-sided as the scoreline suggested we have being 3-0 but uh, yeah, obviously in the end Roma were well worth the win. Bologna sort of gave them a bit of a game. They had a couple of chances at the start of the second half but 
yeah, Roma just had too much quality. It's often the, the same story in Serie A where they are just better than the opposition. They can just beat teams even if they're not really on their um, top form as they weren't yesterday. But yeah, it wasn't the most exciting of games because it was fairly comfortable for Roma. They once they took the lead and getting the lead, it was a bit fortuitous. They it was a set piece that just fell down to fat. So I think it was their first shot on goal. But uh, yeah, otherwise it was just a pretty routine game. Donadoni on Bologna's path said it, he was fairly happy with it because his players showed a better spirit in losing 3 0 to Roma than they did losing um, 1 0 to Fiorentina the week before. Whereas Roma was just fairly mundane and afterwards Spalletti seemed happy enough. The only player he did criticise was Dzeko, even though he got on the score sheet. He was uh, saying that Dzeko does need to give more, but yeah, it was just kind of the usual story of Roma with a better team, better players, and that was enough to win, even if it wasn't necessarily in the most spectacular of fashions. No, it didn't seem to be the most spectacular. And Luca, you seem absolutely heartbroken for some reason. <laughs> you seem really down, Luca. I was going to ask it's you, all right? Strange. Yeah, I'm just trying to talk quieter because I'm in the hotel. Ah, <laughs> that's the reason. Right, Nick, we'll come to you to add a bit of noise then. Um, we were obviously at the Olympico last week when Roma, they won actually on the night 3-2, but they got knocked out of the Coppa Italia. We won't dwell on that, but Roma season, we spoke about Napoli on FIF TV last week, but Roma just kind of have second place more or less wrapped up now, don't they? There's four points separating them and Napoli, and they probably won't threaten Juve, who are six ahead. Yeah, I wouldn't say wrapped up just yet, um, given that Roma. There's, I think the key, the key weeks. There's a, a row of three weeks in a row where Roma play uh, Lazio, then away to AC Milan, and then they host Juventus. So they're going to be the the key games for me as to whether Roma can secure that second position. Um, obviously, I have been saying all week, and I'm still not giving up that Napoli will take that second position, given that it's it's not too much better. But, I mean, they, their run home is probably a bit easier, given that their only major team um, that they play is, well, Inter, and then Fiorentina, I guess you can throw them in as well. Not as difficult of a run home. So as you, as you mentioned, Roma, they, it was kind of there was very little pressure this week. So and they did what they needed to. I guess almost similar to Empoli, as bad to, to their credit as they did against Empoli, but um, they definitely hadn't been on last week for both of their matches. So maybe, but maybe this is the kind of win that can get them the confidence to get back to that form that they had before the international break, and then that second position. Yeah, well, I would have probably disagreed with you last week that Napoli could have caught Roma because I really fancied Lazio to do a job and get at least a point at the Olympico against them but Napoli just completely brushed them aside so I think I'm probably going to agree with you there Napoli probably can make some sort of a challenge for second place anyway this year Um, we'll move on quickly to Crotone and Inter more to get this out of the way early than anything else and Nick Keep drinking that wine because <laughs> this isn't going to be easy for you. Um, what the hell happened there? Uh, good question. <laughs> um, honestly, I, I don't know what what team went out onto that pitch. Um, I, I was trying to like look at dissect the strategy and all that kind of stuff and how they went out. But really, to me, to me, I'm just thinking that means nothing really because the, the attitude that the players had and the way they played that game, particularly in the first half, was an absolute disgrace and it's, it's not good enough for the Nerazzurri. And it's, it's frustrating that, and, you know, I've, this, this, I mean, you'll vouch for the fact that I've been very critical this season of the likes of AC Milan um, with the way that they play, I don't partic- I'm not a big fan of the way that they play their football, and I've said it's not a sustainable way of playing. And same with Fiorentina, I've been a bit harsh in saying that they don't play with heart and all that. But I mean, the the, the biggest joke of all this is that Inter are the team that is spending three, four times the amount of these other clubs, and now AC Milan has just jumped Inter 
And that's that's the joke. So, you know, all the AC Milan fans, they, they're well within their rights to come back at me and say, well, you know, yeah, we might play rubbish football, but we're ahead of a team that's outspending us by a significant margin. And that's that's the most embarrassing part of this. There's, It's not good enough. Like, with all due respect to Milan, Inter should be so far ahead of that team. Like, so far ahead. It's not. It's so not good enough. And it just, I, there'll be an article, I guess, out there, an opinion piece about Inter on FIF. But it, to me, it just, it just shows the fact that all this changing coaches every three months, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change things because, you know, it, it lifts, it lifts the team. It motivates them for a short period of time. But it, then it's the same old crap that comes back. They lose interest. The novelty wears off, and then it's the same old Inter and. You know, with all due respect to Crotone, it's a loss there is just, it's not good enough. I don't care about the strategy. I don't care about that. The talent that's in that team should be beating that team very easily. But in saying that, I do want to give a lot of credit to Crotone because they came out in the first 20 minutes and absolutely blew us away, blew Inter away, sorry. They um, were very strong. They knew they were energetic they were giving into no space and they were hitting us so effectively on the break so make no mistake this wasn't just a a a bash and grab Crotone deserved to win this by a long margin because Inter was just nowhere in that game yeah well you mentioned the piece that you wrote and I had a quick look through it before coming on air and it's it's definitely worth keeping an eye out for I'll be uploading that for tomorrow morning so anyone who wants to head over and read a very passionate but kind of level-headed piece about Inter. Certainly do so. There's a big shout about Frank de Boer um, in there, which I personally enjoyed. It's a strong start, definitely, to the article. But yeah, keep an eye out for that tomorrow on ForzaItalianFootball.com. But let's look at Crotone, shall we? You mentioned that they played quite well. You gave them a lot of credit. We've been talking on the podcast recently about how they, or Palermo, now it looks like it's just them who have any hope of catching Empoli. But they've reduced the gap to three points now. So, and they've a better goal difference than Empoli. So Empoli mm-hmm. would want to be getting a bit worried now. Um, Vito, I'll throw this over to you. I realise you've been sitting quiet and patient there. Um, do you fancy the Calabrese side's chances of staying in Serie A this year? Well, I've got to be honest. I think it's going to be a tough challenge for Crotone to stay up on the basis that they do have a very tough draw coming up. Uh, they do face Juventus and there are a couple other tough teams that they do have to battle against. But if the last two weeks have been any indicator, they've shown that they can win on the road and they can also beat a tough team. So they bet Kiev away and they bet Inter at home who have been inconsistent but on paper are a very strong team. But uh, David De Nicola, the coach, has managed to get this uh, strategy right. And also uh, the centre forward, David De Falcin, I mean, Diego Falcinelli, sorry, is being prolific. So if uh, Nicola gets his strategy right and Falcinelli is uh, still a prolific scorer, they might be able to surprise a few people. And also with Empoli, they haven't been big scorers at all. So if they can't register a few results in the remaining seven or so weeks, then Crotone might have a chance in that aspect. But it won't be easy. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Empoli's goal-scoring problems because they've scored 18 goals in 31 games. So I don't think it's too outrageous a claim to look at the table and say, Empoli might not pick up another point between now and the rest of the season. And Crotone do have to play Pascara and Udinese, who will already have nothing to play for, and even less so by the time they meet. So if Empoli or Crotone, sorry, can pick up six points in those two games, then who knows what they can do against someone else? Luca, what do you think of their chances of staying up? Do you think they can pull it off? Well, it's only three points, and you would sort of assume that the momentum is now with Crotone. You kind of, the way it seems so sort of done and dusted quite recently, you'd think that Empoli, a couple of months, or perhaps just even a month ago, probably assumed they would be safe and they might not kind of have that kind of sort of fear in them to really come out. And uh, 
get teams like the, the only thing is those last two games with Crotona they play Juventus away and then Lazio at home it's, mm-hmm. so I think they're going to have to try and do it early they they probably can't take it to the, the final day but I think they've, they've sort of had Nicola he's done fairly well in just kind of keeping going consistently they've, they've sort of slowly started to tick now winning away Kievo is a very impressive result well, not, not many teams do that and then I suppose if Falcinelli is able to do what he's been doing recently he's like certainly been informed he's the star in that team and then they've got quite a lot of other players on uh, particularly exciting we got caught as a bit of a journeyman but it's sort of empty have just been so kind of anonymous it's just the fact that the other teams have been even worse that they've, they've sort of been a bit free of criticism it just doesn't seem significant but just purely in terms of momentum now that the Crotone have taken that big scalp as well it means that that's three points they probably wouldn't have marked down as ones they would have expected to win and next up they've got Torino who were quite inconsistent if it sort of turns out into another game with Torino where it's free scoring perhaps Crotone could sneak something there so yeah it's um I think in some ways it's with kind of Crotone now the momentum, whereas Empoli might have somewhat sort of relaxed and assumed that, that they they would just be able to stay up just because the other teams were so bad. But certainly more interesting now that there is something of a, a relegation battle, even if it's just these two sides in a head-to-head uh, contest. Yeah, I, I would suggest that they could pick up something against both Torino and Sampdoria after that. But given there's two of you Sampdoria supporters on this week's podcast I don't want to get yelled down but um, Nick I don't know if you've anything else to add about that but just Pal- or Empoli rather couldn't even beat Palermo this weekend and if they're going to beat anyone other than Pascara it's going to be Palermo and to get a yeah, 1-1 draw there is shocking well that's that's the thing like it is it, Crotona do have a hard run home but I mean you you're just looking at Empoli's matches and you're thinking, like, you just can't see them picking up points. Like, you just watch them and they just, you know, with all due respect, they just provide so little. And I don't know. Yeah, as Luca said, all the, all the momentum's with Crotone. So for the for the sake of the Calabrese out there, I really hope that they can um, they can hold on. But um, in terms of being a, an improved side, um. You know, a lot of credit needs to go to that club because at the start of the season, they were copying a lot, you know, possibly from us as well. I'm sure we would have mentioned that their quality was just um, so far behind Serie A. And look, to be fair, you know, we're not saying they're world beaters now. They're still very much, a, I mean, a Serie B side in terms of their quality, but their improvement and their ability to be competitive in Serie A has been very impressive the way they've improved. So a lot of credit has to go to the coach and their club. Yeah, I think they've probably also improved because they've kind of just stuck with it, even if they are a Serie B side, they've just stuck with it. Kind of exactly. Perhaps at this sort of point in the season, it means they, they can, they all know each other, they, they, they're there, they've probably got the kind of team spirit, whereas, I don't know, perhaps a different team like, like Genoa, who have more resources and the best, but they've been going and changing so much. That's probably why they're in such a state now. Crotone, obviously inferior, but they, they can sort of try and punch a little bit above their weight. And they've done that in the last couple of games and they've got a hug now. Yeah, it's worth remembering as well that they didn't have the easiest start to the season. They weren't allowed to play at home for a couple of months, I think, and they were playing their home games in Pescara, which is by no means a short trip for their supporters. So it's I'd be very happy to see them stay up. Nick, I know you're, you've been backing them all season because of your family roots, but... <laughs> I think FIF can be firmly behind Crotone's survival hopes anyway. Um, well, that was an Inter game, even though we spoke about Crotone for a fair bit. But we'll go to the other side of Milan now. Nick, you will not enjoy this, but they beat Palermo. They smashed Palermo. Or not, did they? Yeah, they smashed Palermo. Um, oh, no. Apologies, I don't know what I'm talking about. But that puts them now in pole position to get the Europa League place over your boys, Nick, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Well, yeah, they're ahead. So, in that respect, but this uh, Saturday's derby means so much in terms of you know. I, I guess in the grand scheme of things, in Serie A, it doesn't mean a great deal. But in terms of just um, I don't know integrity, I guess um, it, it means a lot. Um, probably for both Milan clubs, to be fair. 
um, it, it, it's almost something that Inter can't lose because it's just, I mean, I, you know, I can't really say much more than before and it's kind of frustrating to even discuss, but it's, um, to, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking at the, the table right now and it just, it just, it blows my mind that where we're sitting and the amount this team spends and the amount the, the amount of talent that's in this team and they can't get it together. It's horrifying. All right, Nick, I'll but, put yeah, you out of your... I don't know. Go to someone else. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'll put you out of your misery. Um, Vito, back to you. We've got Inter on 55 points and Milan just ahead of them on 57. This is the definition of a six-pointer if I've ever seen one. So a win for Inter here, surely that swings the momentum massively back in their favour. Oh, absolutely. Um, just taking into consideration that they have spent so much money on players and also when they have been in good form, they actually do play a good mm-hmm. brand of football, good style of football. It's just that they've really lacked the consistency. Another thing to take into consideration, I still believe they've got too many workmanlike or defensive midfielders and there's still not enough creativity. So uh, you can only do so much with Riccardi on the front and Banega just playing in the hole. But if those guys were more consistent, perhaps they would have been high up the table. But definitely, uh, Inter really need to win this derby because if they lose it and they miss out on Europe, it would feel very hollow, especially with the spending that they've done on all these uh, midfielders. So um, if uh, the Rossoneri, they defeated Inter, that would take great joy in it because they have not spent anywhere near the money that Inter have. Yeah, definitely agree. The, we keep talking about the money that Inter have spent, but it is ridiculous, especially when you look and see them sitting there in seventh place, just above who, just above three points ahead of Fiorentina, who we have ridiculed so strongly on this podcast a hundred thousand times this season. But, Luca, if we're going to look at this from Milan's perspective, they're coming into it on the back of a good result. Um, Ogo Silla wrote a great piece, actually, on Milan and how Suso swung the momentum in their favour ahead of the derby, which is worth reading. That's up on FIF now. Uh, but Suso, as we said, he swung the momentum in their favour and he is back and he's not taking any time to get back into the his groove, if you will. But what are your thoughts ahead of this derby Luca uh, I think perhaps to think that the Milan are in the driving seat now just because their head is probably it's probably premature they've got it's so it's so little the difference between the two teams in the table that it's really can be hard to see obviously you would expect the, the morale now to be with Milan and that perhaps people weren't really expecting them to be there but and obviously, into have lost two of their, their, their past three. But I think, obviously, it's a derby. It's the only thing that happened, as you'd say. But I don't know. I think, in some ways, I still kind of fancy into a bit more than Milan. I think Milan have got a slightly more kind of exciting thrust to them now with Delefeu and Souza and this kind of like these sort of Spanish stars who they add a bit of sort of just speed and dribbling. They can cut in and they can shoot. But. I don't know, I think perhaps in a derby game of this kind of nature, perhaps that kind of compact nature of Inter, that kind of ability to just really keep it strong in the, the midfield and perhaps you don't really need that kind of flair. You can just try and work it out. And well, obviously Milan haven't necessarily been the most uh, creative team at all points this season. But yeah, I don't, I don't think either of them are really brilliant teams at the moment, but... I think it will be very close and just go down to wire. And yeah, ahead of the derby, I don't think perhaps any one team really does have this kind of great kind of mental state where they can think that they're really the ones who have the momentum. It's like Milan drew away at Pescara. That's not the kind of result that would have been lauding or bringing all these plaudits out a couple of weeks ago. And then Inter lost at return. That's lost to Sampdoria, but, uh, Sampdoria, but Sampdoria did well. So I don't, I don't think it's really one way you can perhaps reach too many conclusions. I don't think, I think they're both fairly average at the moment and they're kind of doing what you would expect. I don't think they're really being exceptional. It's just perhaps the only one kind of new 
Leo's sort of Delafeo with Milan, who I've really enjoyed, and Gallardini on the other side for Inter, who I think should be back for the derby. So perhaps if you sort of put it as a kind of one-on-one job, you have that. But otherwise, I think it it should just be a tight match between two relatively average teams. The the crucial thing, I guess, that for Inter as well is that they actually face Fiorentina, then Napoli, and Lazio on the way home as well. So. It's it's basic. If if Milan beats Inter this weekend, they've got they've got the position. They they will beat Inter in the table. I'm certain of it, and that's why I've I've said that it is crucial that Inter win. And if that, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me, in a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Team, if they can't lift, if you can't lift uh, for a, a match of this magnitude, for what this means to the fans, then there's a serious problem there. So it's it'll be a huge match for for both clubs. It would be a huge match if it was just a European qualification on the line, and it would be a huge match if it was just the derby. So to have the two yeah. together, hopefully we'll get a, an exciting game. It's two sides that well, Milan with their attack back now and. With Gagliardini coming back for Inter, Nick, how you mentioned Gagliardini in your piece about how he was missing and it was a big blow. How big will his return be? Because we've seen how impressive he's been since joining from Atalanta. Yeah, I mean, he's almost been a catalyst of a lot of the form that Inter showed in early 2017. He he changed that midfield um, into into a team that was just kind of controlling possession and not doing much into something a team that was actually effective in midfield and building towards something. And, you know, I know we've discussed it before, but it wasn't only him, it was the effect he had on the likes of Condogbia around him. So I think having that young kind of um, talent that's actually, you know, putting in, like he puts in, he works so hard, he's up and down the field all the time. I think I think that has an effect, a flow-on effect easily to the players around him. So I, I don't, you know, while it wasn't, the vital element, I guess. I, I, I'm not, I don't think it's a coincidence that he wasn't, he didn't start in that match against Crotone because um, I haven't seen Inter come out this season looking that just, I don't, I don't even know what word to use to describe it, just not there. Right. I've had enough of the Milan clubs for a week <laughs> and probably for the rest of the season. And <laughs> we'll move on to a game that was a lot more enjoyable to watch, and that was Lazio against Napoli. Because Napoli, they were on their game this weekend. Nick, you and I spoke about them in some detail last week, so I'll give you a bit of a rest for this one. Vito, you can take this. Do you think that Napoli have the foundations in place to put together a real title challenge next year, or are they still missing a few key ingredients? I reckon Napoli are missing key ingredients, but it's predominantly in the defensive phase. 
I believe that they do need a better goalkeeper than Pepe Reina because this season he has been prone to a couple of errors. Uh, he Sarri doesn't have much faith in Vlad Kirikes and Raul Albiol has not impressed me. And especially in the Champions League, I thought Albiol was terrible against Real Madrid. So I reckon that's where they need the most improvement. But up front, um, I don't think you can really go wrong with that attack. I think with that forward line, with Mertens, Insigne and Cajon, and then you've got Milik, who's on the bench, as well as Pavoletti, I, I reckon that's an attack to win a good that tall. But, of course, every part of the team has to be strong, every facet. And the midfield, I still reckon, is pretty good too. Keep in mind, for instance, Diawara, he's only 19. So, long-term-wise, he's got a great future. And Zielinski's only about 22, 23. So, he's another long-term option too. And although Hamsik is 30 this year, I still think he's in good enough form physically and also in terms of what he does on the ball, he's still a very useful player, a very important player. So it's yeah, it's just about sorting things out at the back and also just mentally going into games because they can play some exciting football and they're just as great as anyone on the day. It's just mm. if the world is against them or their referee decisions go against them. They've just got to keep on battling and keep persisting. It's really about nerves and also I think mentally as well. Um, doesn't matter if it's your or any other team. If they feel that they have some sort of inferiority complex, not we just got to punch above the weight, have greater belief and uh, deal with tough situations a bit better. But uh, what they did against Lazio. Lazio have been great this season and they just smashed them at the Olympico. It didn't matter what tactics uh, Simone Inzaghi had, Sarri's system and the way the place implemented was brilliant. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with anything you said there. Nick and I focused on the the young players they have in midfield and kind of put that forward as a reason why they might be closer challengers next season. Luca, Lazio, they... They've been great this year, to their credit. We've probably not spoken about them as much as we should. They're still one point ahead of Atalanta in fourth. Um, they've got Genoa and Palermo coming up next, so fourth place is still very much theirs to lose, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you would think so. They have they have been very impressive with basically Inzaghi carrying on as somehow this interim who's taken them to the final and now is in with this chance of Europe and the goal, these young players kind of in the same same sort of way as Napoli. And yeah, I think I think it probably is theirs to lose. And I don't know, I suppose the only one danger is that perhaps if they start to think that themselves, they might uh, become a bit nervous. But otherwise, yeah, they've, they've been a very good team. I think Napoli, when they're, they're playing as well as they did, they, they play the best football in the league. And when they really hit it off like that, very few teams in the world are going to be able to to stop them, and three 0 was probably a bit harsh. It was just a another goal that got me in the end. But yeah, Lazio, if they can get this consistency, I think it was uh, against Napoli. They also had a bit of rotation in the back with uh, Bastos, Hurt, and uh, Wallace. So perhaps if those kind of, I think Wallace is only about twenty two. If he kind of helps develop as well, that could help uh, help them. Uh, be a bit more solid at the back, but otherwise I think Lazio have been very good this season. As long as the, the kind of cup final doesn't distract them too much as well, you would expect them to be there. They shouldn't drop any further, and I think there's no reason why they can't catch Atalanta either with the uh, run in that left goal. Yeah, definitely. So we'll move on to the last game. We'll only touch briefly on Juventus Kievo. I want to focus more on the Champions League game that Juve are playing this week. Nick, it was only Kievo. Um, Dov won't be happy with me saying that, but it was as professional a job as you would expect from Juve, right? Um, Iguain, he's ended his Serie A drought and he's in some real form coming into this Barcelona game. Yeah, a, a perfect time for that attack to be um, really clicking and um, him him and um, Paolo Dybala are looking amazing when they're linking up together. They're playing some incredible football, so... Yeah, what he scored four game uh, four goals in his last two matches. Um, he is looking just in incredible touch. So 
um, yeah, it couldn't have come at a better time for Juve. And, you know, granted, they, they did even rest a couple of players against Kievo. They didn't start with uh, Leonardo Benucci, Giorgio Chiellini or Miralem Pjanic, I believe. So um, they've been able to rotate as well, which is uh, good for them, good for their fatigue. So, yeah, I mean, can't really say they could be in much better shape for the Champions League fixture. I guess the only... Um, the only doubt would be Mario Mandzukic, who's been out for a couple of weeks with an inflamed knee. But um, the reports that I've seen that he will be fit for that game as well. So, yeah, great preparation. They're looking in good touch. And um, if you want to hear more, get to the YouTube page because there's a nice little 10-minute preview. Yeah, you did a good job. You, <laughs> you sent it to me, and when I saw it was 10 minutes, I was thinking, oh, no, this is going to be way too long. But time flies, eh? And... Um, Vieri Capretta has actually done a three key battles as well, which is a very good video. Probably better than yours, to be fair. Wow. Um, I don't know, Vito, have you any thoughts on how this game is going to go between Juve and Barca? Juve and Barca would have to be an ideal battle in terms of uh, top attacking versus top quality defending. Although the BBC defence us aging a bit. At least they've got Rugani and mm. Benassia there as options. So regardless of how Allegri sets his team up, let's say he sticks with the 4-2-3-1, um, in the defensive phase, I doubt Barca will come across a tougher team in that aspect. And also Barca, um, well, without lamenting on too much on the Spanish style, I mean... Barcelona do play the free-flowing attacking style, but it's going to be very unlikely they'll find a team that is as defensively strong as Juve. So I think for those who admire the tactical beauty of the game, they should enjoy the battle in terms of aesthetics and entertainment. I still think there would be some sort of entertainment value, but I reckon Barcelona would probably be stronger on paper, but if Juve can get Barcelona, I think this is a fantastic time because I do admit there was a bit of luck involved when they bet PSG. So mm. with uh, the defence still being a top quality one and also Higuain and Dybala combining like they have in the last few weeks, I think this is a great chance to sort of test Barca defensively because the mainstream media, the fans, they can go out about the attack until the cows come home. But uh, <laughs> if... Uh, if the defence of Juve can be on form and they're strong mentally and physically, uh, it will be a fantastic battle to see. Yeah, that's the thing. A lot of people are talking about Juve as if they're just this 10-man wall in front of Buffon, but that doesn't do them justice. Like, look at the midfield and the attack in Iguain and Dybala that they've got. They can definitely cause problems of their own. And Barcelona's away form, I haven't got the figures in front of me, but it hasn't been the best this year and they're going to be without Sergio Busquets as well, who's so integral to that midfield. But the question from a listener that we're going to focus on this week is actually about this game. And it's from Faisal who wants to know how important will the formation Juve use versus Barca be? He thinks that the flanks are key with Mandzukic and Sandro possibly playing a huge role. Luca, you've been quiet for a bit. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I was I was gonna sort of suggest that with Mandzukic when Nick mentioned him earlier, I think he probably will be will be key because if he plays in that sort of four two three one in an out kind of wide position, I think he'll be directly opposite Rakitic. And if he can really sort of get in that kind of like defensive sort of forward role that he plays and really kind of harass Rakitic and get into them with Barcelona not having. Busquets, I presume they'll have a midfield three with Mascarano and um, Rakitic and Iniesta, which isn't necessarily the most sort of defensively strong one. So if if Rakitic can that like sort of slightly more inside role can really be that kind of nuisance that he has been in the league, then that will give Sandro that room to really get up the up to left flank, and then on the other side again, um, Quadrado, and if he's playing out wide, I think that the Barcelona's fullback perhaps could be a bit of a weak link in that team. And if they've not necessarily got the greatest amount of cover from the central midfield, which you wouldn't necessarily expect with them having such an attacking-minded central midfield, I think if that that kind of 
links up with sort of work rate and kind of like nasty, dirty work that Mandzukic puts in. And then mm. Quadrado is a bit more technical. And then you've got the, the fullbacks who can really bomb on again. Valves against his old team. He should know what, what he's doing. So I think if they can kind of explore that width, you would like, fancy Juventus to, to sort of punish some of Barcelona's frailties, which normally get papered over by just how strong they are in, in hand. But like, even when the draw was made, I do... I do fancy Juventus for this for this match. I think they're they're probably a more more balanced team. They don't necessarily have the the great individual players as Barcelona. But I think on the whole they are in some ways a better team. And with Barcelona having to come past PSG in such a dramatic fashion, I think mean, it's clear that they do have these weaknesses. And Juventus should be smart enough to 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 see that for themselves and poke holes in them. Yeah, Nick, just quickly, because we're I'm quite time conscious at the moment, but is it too far to suggest that Juventus are favourites coming into this, especially the first leg? Yeah, I, I mean, on the balance, I think, to be honest, on if, you, if you're purely looking at form, I mean, you would have to say that Juventus should be favourites. I don't think they are, but they should be because uh, Barca haven't been fantastic at all I mean on the weekend on Saturday they lost 2-0 to Malaga um, in a match where they dominated but they just um, they weren't able to get the results and they were they showed their defensive vulnerabilities particularly on the counter and I think going back to that formation I think that that could be key with Juventus um, and I guess that'll be that the big test for the 4-2-3-1 you know something that has had so much talk about it since its um, introduction earlier this year by Allegri um, and I think this is, it's almost been building to this. This is going to be the real test of that formation. But to be fair, I think it, it seems like the perfect formation to frustrate this Barca team because, as I mentioned in that video, that they will be quite happy to sit back and absorb the pressure because they are a defensive line um, that can absorb it. They can take it and then hit them on the break. And as the questioner mentioned, use those um outlets out wide with speed the likes of Mario Mandzukic who will do his work in defense but will also get forward and uh, support Higuain and Dybala so um, I think this formation can really frustrate and possibly punish Barca Um, so yeah to the question on form I think they should be favorites but I mean it's hard not to for, for that team on paper in terms of talking about Barcelona not to be favourites, I guess. And I guess that's purely why they are. It's because the names that are, will be lit, written down on that team sheet. All right. Well, no one likes doing this, but I'm going to push you all for score predictions. Um, first leg will do. I'll go first. I say 2-1 Juventus. Luca. Oh, uh, Slightly better yours on uh, Juve's Barfinger 2-0 for the big game. It's a big shout, Vito. Uh, I'd probably go a 2-2 draw. That wouldn't be too great. Nick, What you've the final say, so what you say goes. Oh, I was going to go your scoreline, but I don't want to go the same as you, so oh. I'll go I'll go 1-0 Juve. Okay, so 2-1 Juve from me and Nick. Luca um, <laughs> <laughs> reckons 2-0 and he says a draw. Guys, that'll just about do it for us this week. We've done quite well, I think. Vito? Thanks a million for coming back. It's been good to have you on. Yeah, yeah, it's glad. It's good to be talking with you guys again. Yeah, I've definitely got to come back on soon. <laughs> we were saying earlier, actually, I, I think I've had you on once since I've been host. When was the last time you were on? Would have been a few months ago, maybe three, four months at least. Yeah, I think it was before Christmas. We'll be sure to not allow the wait to go that long this time um no. Nick and Luca I'm sure you guys will be back with me next week Nick do your Patreon and FIF TV roundup please um yeah um as I as I kind of alluded to there's a big preview of the Juventus Barcelona Champions League quarterfinal match that we've put up um there's a few on that match actually as you mentioned Vieri's put a, some key battles up there there's some uh, five facts about the match but um, also we'll have um, well, me, myself and Dolph will both be in Milan for the derby. So we'll also look to put a few bits and pieces up around that. So, um, yeah, we've had a lot of content from Napoli, from Roma, and there's still more to, um, that I've got to put together and will be uploaded. So keep an eye out for that. Lots of 
pizza videos and random stuff, which um, might be of interest to you, might not be, but um, it's all good fun. So we're trying to put as much content as possible. So subscribe, look out for it. And um, if you are feeling generous or you have some extra change, which you don't know what to do with, head to our Patreon page um, and donate anything you might have because it um, basically allows us to provide a better product and put out more content for the viewers. So it's it's by any means not for our profit. So um, anything is very much appreciated. Yeah, please do if you have uh, a dollar or two to spare, uh, US dollar, not Australian, as we specified last week. But send it our way and we'll get better content and more regular content. Um, Nick, you've got me a bit worried. Am I in any of those videos that are still to come? Yes. Oh. It might be a bit of uh, dancing, let's say. Right. Um, yeah, look forward to that, people. Luca, I forgot about Serie B this week, so we can get you to do a Serie B roundup next week, but I did see that Frozenone slipped up. So... Verona grew. And Spal are back on top, basically, anyway. A two-point gap. Not too many games left to play. But Luca will have his Serie B roundup again next week. If he's going to get the sensation from North Korea, Han, he's going to tear up the league. Yeah, there you go, Luca. Um, go on. Uh, just that the 18-year-old Kwan Song Han uh, scored his first goal for Canary, and he's the first player from North Korea to score in. Serie A, whereas North Korea's uh, previous links with Italy was when they knocked them out in the 1966 World Cup. But apparently uh, a senator from Silvio Berlusconi's party, who used to be very pro-North Korea, somehow spotted him or recommended him. He's wound up at uh, Cadbury after Fiorentina passed him up. And he scored on, I think, what was his second appearance. And apparently him being signed by Cadbury was once discussed in Parliament because they thought that uh, if they were spending money on a North Korean player abroad, that the, the money would go to the regime there. But, yeah, it's just an interesting story, and I think there'll be a, mm. a lot of people interested in seeing a, a boy from North Korea in Syria. Yeah, that is an interesting story, which I wasn't familiar with all the details of. So, Luca, you're on a feature on yeah, the for the week, please. And, yeah, we'll see how late I can stay up. I might write something about Juve before that game tomorrow. But that will do it for now keep an eye on the site nick looks confused keep an eye on youtube nick what's going on huh no he's all good he's just um, annoying as always and until next week it's ciao for now
I'm very much missing sharing a bed with you, Connor. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.